This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, guys, I am so excited to be with you today as we wrap up the series that we just started a few weeks ago that for a lot of the feedback we've heard just really needed a series that has been very encouraging called Fight Back. Next week, we're going to start a brand new series called Divested. You might be saying, well, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that word means. To invest is something most of us understand, that we take our resources and we direct them into something. To divest literally means to pull out my resources from something and then invest them into another place. It's an idea really presented to us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a very simple idea in this, is that we are often invested in the wrong things. We're often invested in the wrong things. And because God loves us, and this principle that he shows us that where our treasures, where we are invested, the, the flow of our heart is going that direction. We need to divest. For the next few weeks, we're going to give you every week an opportunity to divest. And it's not, I'm going to kick it off next week, but we've got really some Heavy hitters coming in for this series. David Payne, who's one of our overseers, pastors Lifesong Church in Sutton, Massachusetts, one of the top 25 over the past few years, top 25 fastest growing churches in the country. David's brilliant, brilliant communicator, great friend, great coach. He's going to be here. Uh, then the next weekend, week three out of that series, Eric Parton, who is Shoreline Church, Destin, Florida, also serves as one of our overseers. Eric is one of my good friends, kind of like my spiritual big brother. He's hilarious, okay? So fun, such a phenomenal communicator. Literally was a stand-up comedian in New York for 10 years. I mean, he is hilarious. You don't want to miss that. That's week three. It's, it's just going to be a great series. Now, I want to review where we've been for the past few weeks in this series, Okay, and I want to remind you that the enemy has a plan to attack you. Okay, it's real simple. The enemy attacks us from within using our flesh. The flesh, this idea of the corrupted and broken human nature within us. What God created good, sin and our enemy have corrupted. This flesh, the enemy attacks and tempts us to sin from within using our flesh. Number two, our enemy attacks us from without using worldly powers and systems. We're not in heaven yet. And the world is overtly not drifting the way of God. If you live the way of the world, you're not living the way of Jesus. The way of the world is tempting us to sin. We're tempted from without and from within. And then number three, we are attacked supernaturally by the enemy and his forces. 
you are a target because God loves you. The enemy of God has now labeled you as a target to come after you. Three different ways we're attacked. And so for the past three weeks, I've told you that while you're under attack, you don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus has already won this war. A lot of times when we talk about this unseen war, Christians will get afraid. And the truth is, you don't have to be afraid. Because whatever you're facing, we don't fight this battle from, or we fight this battle from victory, not for victory. I'm, I'm not going to win because of how good I am or what I earn. The, the victory that we have as believers is secured in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. It's him. We win because of Jesus. So just to review this, because some of us weren't here for all of it, how do we fight the internal battle of the flesh? How do I fight these physiological desires that have been corrupted by sin? Number one, flee temptation. Get away from it. Stop trying to manage temptation. Stop trying to argue your way into why you need to keep that thing or that person in your life. Flee from temptation. Number two, renew your mind with God's word. Some of us have broken patterns of thought that we inherited from our past. It, it might be that you, you always go to fear. You always go to worry. You always, in conflict, go to drama. And it's a pattern of behavior that you learned, and our minds need to be renewed by the Word of God. And then number three, be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. The, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not just some silly thing that happens in a church. It's very practical and needed. We need it every day. We need to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. That's how we fight the internal battle of the flesh. How do we fight the external temptation to sin in our world? Number one, I told you this, we need to find personal victory with sin before making it a public fight. There are too many Christians yelling at other people about stuff that they're not even good with. And what's so obvious is that a lot of times the things that bother us the most are the things that are most evident in our life too. And we need to make personal holiness an issue. Going after God, being the kind of person that God's called us to be before we ever start yelling at somebody else about their mistakes. Then number two, we fight more. That's the temptation, the temptation of more with the discipline of contentment. The lie of the world is that if one is good, more is better. And what we need to do is embrace the discipline of contentment. God, what you've given me is enough. And then number three, humbly surrender to the way of Jesus. This is important in the world. Why? Because the world has a way it wants you to live. It's going to teach you how to live that way. The world is going to sell you a pattern of thought, a way of doing life, and it is directly opposed to the way of Jesus. So we have to humble ourselves and surrender to the way of Jesus. This is how we fight the world. So how do we fight our unseen enemy, the devil, Satan? How do we fight? Number one, by repenting of pride and choosing humility. This is so important. It's important because any place of pride in your life creates legal ground for the enemy to live and operate. 
If you've got pride, pride is rejecting God. So if I've got pride in my finances, I've rejected God, God's ways in my finances, I'm just making open targets for myself and my finances. If I've rejected God in my relationships, in my marriage, in my parenting, all of those things invite the attack of the enemy. So I have to repent of it and then choose humility. I'll say this because it just bears being repeated. You know, the Bible never says that God's going to force you to be humble. He's going to invite you to choose humility. And if you won't choose it, he'll put you in a place where you have no other choice. The word humiliated literally means to be made humble. So you can humble yourself or you'll be humiliated. Repenting of pride. This is how we fight. the. This, because I don't have the authority. God has the authority. I've got to be submitted under his authority. And then I can fight. Then how do we fight our unseen enemy? By number two, rebuking the enemy by the authority of and in the name of Jesus. And some of us, we've got some stuff going on with our kids and in our marriage and in our finances. And the problem is, is that we've rejected God. You can rebuke the enemy all you want. Until you repent and get under God's authority, you don't have the authority by yourself. It's his authority because you're living under his direction, submitted to him. Then you have the authority to say, get out of here. That's what a rebuke means. It's a redirection. Get out of here. Get off my family. Get out of my marriage. You're done messing with my finances. Then you can rebuke the enemy. Now today, I'm going to take you to what is often the, the most preeminent passage in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, talking about this unseen war. It's Ephesians chapter 6, and it lists out there what we call the armor of God. I'm going to go through that today. And I'm going to talk about the armor of God as I really kind of want to wrap up the series and set you up in a place where you can win. I, I, can I just pause for a second? This past week I had the privilege of being out of town. I got to go with a lot of, a lot of Christian leaders on, on a, kind of a retreat. We went fly fishing together. And I was sitting around a table having dinner just watching got CEOs of companies that I admire just weeping struggling in their lives, talking about the stuff that was going on with them. And we sat privately and talked about it. And I said, you realize that you're under attack. Like, I hear what you're saying. I know nobody around that table pointed that out, but our enemy is called the father of lies. And what you're talking about right now are lies that you've believed. Just watching men cry. I mean, I'm telling you, this is something we got to get in our hearts and get it operating in our lives. We've got to learn to fight back. Ephesians 6 shows us part of the answer. Look at this. We're going to start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, I, I'll just stop there. Please notice that this is a command. Be strong. It's a choice. Be strong. You've got to choose to be strong. And the strength that we're asked to choose is not our own. It's not the strength of people around us. It's to be strong in the Lord. You have a choice where you find your strength. You will find your strength in you, in your own wisdom, in the wisdom of those around you, or in God. And the beginning of this is to humble yourself, to get under God's authority, and to choose his strength. 
Next verse, look at this, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now look at this. This does not say that you're running. You're not running from the enemy. You're not running from his schemes. You're standing. And somebody in here today is going to make a decision that I'm not giving up any more ground in my marriage. I'm not giving up any more ground in my family with my kids. I'm not giving up any more ground in my finances. I'm going to stand. I'm not moving back anymore. For our struggle, the next verse, is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Leave that verse up there for a second just to make a few observations. We started with this verse at the very beginning of the series. Number one, our enemy is not a person, okay? Your, your enemy is not those people. If those people could get their act together, if they could do that, it's not that. And some of y'all cannot get out of that. That is not biblical thinking. Your enemy is what I have showed you in this verse simply lays it out. It's the flesh within me and within everybody else. It's the world that we live in. And it's the enemy of, of God who, because God loves you, has made you his enemy as well. And the forces that fight with him, demons. That's your enemy. So look at what the next verse says. Therefore... Put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, in other words, it's coming. You need to go ahead and get ready. The day of evil is coming. You may be able, look at this, it's again, to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. What he's saying is, listen, there's a battle coming. There's going to be some fighting and when it's all said and done, everybody's going to be laying on the ground except somebody. And I want you to be the one that's standing. I don't want you to be the, the victim that's bleeding out on the floor. I want you to be the victor who's standing over everybody else, having won the battle, not giving up any territory to the enemy. And then he begins to list what's classically called the armor of God. Now, it's really important to contextualize this. The Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison cell, okay? He is writing the church in Ephesus, and he's looking at Roman guards who are already dressed. They, they're dressed a certain way. They're wearing the Roman uniform. And he's looking at them going, don't that look just like what God does? And he begins to write and create this metaphor of armor. Look at this. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate plate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's normally where we start, but I want to include verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. You notice that phrase, be alert? It sound familiar? 
1 Peter chapter 5. Be alert and of sober mind for your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone that he might devour. Paul's saying, get ready. There's a battle coming. There's a battle coming. Can we talk about the armor of God just for a second? If you're taking notes, you might want to write some of this down. The belt of truth. The, belt, the thing about the belt for the armament is it held everything together. If you took the belt away, it was all just flopping around. But the belt, when it's secure, it took all the armament and kind of brought it into cohesion. It was the place where the sword was sheathed. It was the one who kind of attached the breastplate to the under armor. It was the, a very important. It's easy to look over it and miss it. The belt of truth. Your truth is a really hot topic today. What is truth? Is it my truth? Is it their truth? Is it what they've always said was true? I want you to hear this. If you've got the, the wrong version or the wrong perspective of truth, it's not going to hold everything together in your life. If we don't see truth for what it is, it's going to enable our ability and disable our ability to have cohesion throughout our lives. That's why some of us struggle. Because what we think is true is true over here, but it's not true over here. This is why we need to move away from thinking about my truth or their truth to really saying it's God's truth. And if God says it's true, I'm going to accept that it's true. The creator of the universe, the crafter of the world that we live in. If God says it's true, I'm going to accept this. And what does that do? When it do I can now cohesively attach all the parts of my life. The breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate would have guarded the chest. It was a large metal piece that fit. It was often custom made to fit for a person. It guarded the most essential internal organs, two of which are really important in the Bible, the lungs and the heart. The heart, which is not just the beating of the muscle inside my chest, pushing oxygen and blood throughout my body, but the root of emotions and feeling. And lungs, what's so interesting is that in the Bible, the word for breath and the word for spirit are the same. And it's as if Paul's saying, listen, if you're going to make a choice in life, if you'll choose to just be right, be the person God made you to be, it's going to protect your heart. It's going to protect your spirit. It's going to guard against all those things that will come in and corrupt you on the inside. The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith which there's a little caveat in this, that will protect you from the King James says, the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, I have a friend who taught this one time and he got a little consonant twisted and said, it'll protect you from the diary farts of the enemy. I don't believe that's true to the text, okay? Roman soldiers, one of the first waves of attack was the archers. And the archers would fire flaming arrows. This is important because what would happen? The flames would attach to any wooden structure and catch it on fire. I want you to know you got an enemy taking shots at you 
that wants to burn down the things in your life. And what protects us? Faith. Our faith is what protects us against the shots that the enemy's taking at us to try to burn down all the things God is trying to build up. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Think, think about, the, the Bible talks about the mind of Christ. We know that our minds are corrupted. The way that we think about things has been twisted since God's original design. And through redemption, through salvation, God renews our mind. We talked about this earlier. The helmet of salvation. The birth inside of us of the mind of Christ. The feet readied in the gospel. This is such, I love the old King James, that, that our, our feet are ready to march forward. We have, we have gotten ready in the gospel. I, I love that terminology. That I've, I've, the, the gospel isn't something just for Sunday. It's not just something the pastor talks about. I, I read it and I study it and I apply it and I live it out in my own life. I'm going after God. I want God to be a part of everything in my life. I'm getting ready for whatever God has next. I'm spending my spare time, my mornings, my evenings, leaning into the presence of God. I'm going to get ready. And then the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive weapon, which this passage clarifies, it's the word of God. This is how we fight back. Some of us struggle with depression. We got to learn how to fight depression with the word of God. Some of us struggle with anxiety. I've, I've been clear about my past and struggling with anxiety and having to fight it with the word of God. Some of us struggle with, with a poverty mindset and struggle with generosity. We gotta fight it with the word of God. There's stuff in our life. We've gotta learn how to fight against it with the word of God. Can I make just one observation before? I, I'm gonna give you a few teaching points. But you notice that there's nothing listed to cover the back. Nothing. You don't know why? Because God never intended for his people to run. God never intended for us to back up and surrender ground. You are vulnerable when you're running. But you are protected when you stand. If you're taking notes, number one, God has given us the tools to fight back. He has. Some of y'all have been saying, I, you know, I'm going to get into this fighting the devil thing one day. I'll, I, when, when I feel like I'm ready, when I feel like God's given me everything I need to do. Listen, God's already done it. He's already given you everything you need to fight back. Number two, the defensive weapons. This is so good. This is so freeing. The defensive weapons are all secured in Jesus Christ. They're not secured in how good I am or how skilled I am. It, it had nothing to do with me. It's all about Jesus, the belt of truth. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Jesus is the truth. All right? Righteousness. I'm not right, but Jesus was right for me. And the Bible tells me that his righteousness is given over, imputed to me through the cross. All right? 
I can have a righteousness that guards my heart through Jesus. Salvation, it's a free gift of God. Nobody has earned it. I don't deserve it. God blesses me with it because of what Jesus purchased for me. Even faith is a gift. All of those defensive weapons secured in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Then number three, only one weapon advances us. There's only one weapon that advances us, and it's the disciplined pursuit of God. This is the feet made ready in the gospel. The Romans would line up in, I mean, gigantic lines miles long and the enemies would posture on the other side and you know what they would do they would lock arms lock shields and they would begin to walk it was only one thing that was taking new ground and that was feet and in your life the preparation of the gospel, getting up early, studying the Bible, leaning into what God has for you. It will take new ground in your life. And there's only one offensive weapon. That's it. That's God's word. It's only one. We got to learn to fight back. You're struggling with anxiety? Memorize some verses. Fight back with God's word. If you're struggling with fear, memorize the Bible. Fight back with God's word. If you're struggling with, with not being generous the way that God wants you to be, memorize the Bible and fight back with God's word. Fight offensively with the word of God. God has gotten us ready for a fight, hasn't he? But can I ask you a question? Why? Why? Now imagine we were hanging out together. Okay, We're hanging out together. Let's say we're watching a football game. Not the Panthers, because they're horrible. Uh, okay. Watching a football game. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to go get some snacks. And I go out, and I'm gone for a little while. But I run back in, and I shut the door. And I've got two guns, and I hand you one. And I jump behind the couch, and I'm like, get back here. In handing you the gun, there's a reason. It's... You could say, hey, why are you doing this? But the implied in the situation is there's a threat. There's something going on. We've got to defend ourselves. We've got to fight ourselves. Why does God equip us for a fight? Why? Jesus in John 16, I've read this every week. I have told you this so that you might have peace in your hearts because of me. Not because of your circumstances. Not because everything's going the way you thought it should. You have peace because of me. While you are in the world, you will have to suffer. Let me interpret that for you. you got to fight. There's a fight coming your way. You might be in it right now. You might have just got out of one, but you're about to go into a new one. There's a fight coming. Your, while you're in this world, you will have to suffer. But cheer up. For I have defeated the world. We are going to have to fight. We're going to have to. God has equipped you to fight because there is a fight coming your way. That's the implied in all of this. That if you don't fight back, you're going to lose. You're going to lose ground in your kids' lives. You're going to lose ground in your marriage. You're going to lose ground in your business. You're going to lose. 
And God's intention was never that his people would be running away, but that they would stand and fight the enemy. So I'm going to make this real simple. We're going to have to fight our flesh. Last thing I want for you is that your flesh wins. That your life be directed and guided by the corrupted desires inside your body. We're going to have to fight the flesh. We're going to have to, number two, we're going to have to fight against the ways of the world. The prince of which is pride. We're going to have to fight against it. And then number three, we're going to have to fight our spiritual enemy. Our enemy has declared war against you because our God loves you and has purposes for your life, wants good things for you. And our enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy every good gift God wants to give you. The last three years, this has been very, very personal for me. There have been times, mostly in hindsight, that I've seen the enemy's attack on my life. It wasn't too long ago that I shared with you that I was kicked off of an airplane. It's something that me and my wife and our friends laugh about now. But in the moment, I felt so crushed and so embarrassed. I was upset. I wasn't acting like myself. I called my overseers. I repented. I even that Sunday stood up in here and was talking about marriage and said, you've got to learn to let your failures become fertilizer to help you grow. I'm just going to say this. If you think that I'm the perfect person, you're in the wrong place. I'm not. But what I promise you, I'll be real with you, okay? I talked to my counselor that day and then followed up with him. My counselor said, Kevin, let's walk through the day. And we did. We talked about everything that happened that day. When I woke up that day, all of my reentry paperwork with the U.S. government had been rejected. And when I was scrambling around to try to get that right, I got locked in a stairwell. And let me just say this. In Honduras, the stairwells are not manufactured the way they are in the United States. The lights were not on. And as a big dude, it was very small in there. And I was locked in it. And I am mildly claustrophobic. And I had a full-blown panic attack. By the time I got out, I was crying. I was shaking. And as I walked through the day, my counselor goes, Kevin, are you blind? It's the enemy. It's the enemy coming after you. And that Sunday when I stood up, I'm going to be honest with you, there were people who told me not to mention it to anybody. But I felt a little bit like that day. Like Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And years later, the brothers come back after he'd went through slavery in jail for decades. And then God redeems it and he ascends to leadership in Egypt. His brothers come and he's able to save his family. And he tells his brothers something. What the enemy meant 
for harm, God used for good. And when I stood up here and was willing to be vulnerable about what had really been very difficult, where the enemy had attacked and really, I believe, wanted to take me out, I was able to take something that the enemy meant for harm and use it for good. There were so many people that day that stopped and said, thank you. I've never had the courage to share this, but now I do. It's been real because the enemy has attacked. Can I be honest with you? I had to learn to address the pride in my own life, humble myself, and then to begin to rebuke the enemy over my marriage, over my kids. And it started with my own pride. When we think about the world that we live in, the last three years has been tough, hasn't it? There's been so many things people wanted to stand up for. I mean, like, People standing up for masks or against masks, for vaccines or against vaccines. And it seems like even if you don't take a side, everybody's looking at you going, you're a coward. When George Floyd was killed in early 2020, around the country, just racial unrest began to boil to the surface again. And I want to say this clearly. Racism is a sin. It's a sin to look at somebody simply because of their ethnicity and say that they have a value based on that. It's sinful. But there was a temptation to try to stand up and say things like you are an expert. And what I realized is that the Bible says in James, be slow to speak quick to listen. And so what I did is I decided I needed some friends. And I invited young African-American leaders in our community, can we go to lunch? Can you talk to me about what your experience has been like? Like, let me see it through your eyes. And I'll never forget my friend who's a young pastor when Josh began to describe, I had just been pulled over the week before for speeding. And my daughter was in the back freaking out. The cop was so nice. But my daughter was crying hysterically. Josh was driving his family to a funeral. And he's an AME minister wearing a collar. Going under the speed limit when he was pulled by three cars, approached with guns drawn. I can't imagine the trauma that my daughter would have went through had that been me. But that's not the kind of stuff you learn when you're yelling. It's the kind of stuff you only hear when you're listening. I told you that we don't win fighting the world, yelling about a bunch of stuff that we don't have victory in in our own lives. And so my choice was to listen. And then the flesh. You know, there's a side to the war against the flesh that unfortunately every person in this room is going to lose. It's echoed in 2 Corinthians 4 
We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The inward is my, my soul and my spirit, but the outward is my flesh. My flesh is wasting away. The death rate throughout the world remains 100%. Our bodies were impacted by sin. Sin, sin evolves into disease and brokenness, which will everybody in this room will succumb to outside of the return of Jesus Christ. In 2019, my doctor said that what I began to experience could only be described as a firestorm of neurological issues. Paresthesia, Bell's palsy, blurred vision, headaches, mental fatigue, days when I was operating at like 20% of what I was before all of it started. This litany of all these issues, my brain was scanned, my blood was taken, my brain was scanned, my blood was taken, my brain was scanned, my blood was taken, no answers. I sat after I'd waited for four months to see a neurologist at the end of 2020, and I looked in their eyes and they said I don't have any answer I just think it's stress you're a pastor it's like this is not stress and there were times throughout that when in all honesty the symptoms have been debilitating there were times when they were easier this year with the help of a few friends, I've been connected to a very good neurologist who said, Kevin, this is a very complicated diagnosis for someone who's 45. The working diagnosis now is what they call complicated migraine syndrome. And the sucky thing about migraines is there's no pinpoint answer to all. <laughs> it's a really, really difficult diagnosis. So right now we're still figuring it out. I've had all kinds of studies, all kinds of medicine. But I remember literally a Sunday when I showed up on a Sunday morning and I couldn't read my notes. My vision was so bad. And I remember sitting over here almost in tears because I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to get up here and do this. And very clearly, the voice of God spoke to me. Kevin, you'll never know my strength without weakness. The Bible says that it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. And he met me that day. And he's met me so many other times throughout this journey. And I've come to see this. This is so important today. That God doesn't just meet us in our struggle. He delivers us through our struggle. It's important to understand that some of us want the things that we're having to fight to just drift away, get that out of my life. But truly, there are things that you can only get by fighting for them. You'll never know the power of hope if everything is right. 
Truly, hope is only given birth to in scenarios when it's not right, when it's not the way it's supposed to be. And hope is a powerful, powerful gift. You never know what it's like to need to be helped. I remember a year ago, I I hurt my back a month before we were supposed to move. And I had about 12 friends that showed up to move us. I think about those friends regularly. Why? Because I was helpless. But they became my help. You don't know that if you can do everything for yourself. And healing, which is one of the promises of the gospel. You'll never know the power of God healing you, whether it's in your physical body or in your heart or in your mind. You'll never know the power of God's healing unless you're broken to start with. There's some things God can't give you if you don't get in the fight. God doesn't just meet us in the fight. He uses the fight to deliver us. You're gonna suffer either way. I hope you choose to fight back. And I don't want you to just fight. I want you to win. But if you're going to win, I need you to accept this. This is true. Winning might not look like what you think it will. One of my heroes, Dallas Willard, died over a year ago of pancreatic cancer. He's a professor at the University of Southern California. He's a brilliant theologian. Pancreatic cancer is very painful in its last stages. And a mutual friend who was in the room as he was dying said, Dallas, just over the last days, said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The world will look at that and say, that's defeat. When Jesus went to the cross, nailed to the cross because of your sin and my sin, the only one that ever got it right, who was crucified and killed as a criminal, everybody when he died would have looked at him and said, that looks like defeat. But we see it differently because we see the whole story. Let me just pause to encourage you. You might feel defeated. Things in your life right now might feel dead, but that's only part of the story. Winning this world or winning this war won't, probably won't look like the world's version of success or winning. And it might not look like what you expect it to look like. As a matter of fact, there's a very counterintuitive way that we win that I've mentioned throughout this entire series. The only way to win this war is to surrender. It's to surrender, to give up and trust God with everything. Pride will cause you to reject God. Reject Him in your, your friendships, in your family, in your marriage, in your career, in your finances. But if we're going to fight back, we've got to humble ourselves and surrender to God. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.